The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 1, 10 through 17. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of your former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Parker. Well, um, just yesterday, um, I was at home in the rain with our boys, and they were playing with different toys, and all of a sudden, as my four-year-old was playing with specific Lego guys, um, you know, he... um, his older brother, he was playing with about 10 to 15 of them. His older brother, who's about nine, was a little bit bored. You know, they'd been in the house all day. So, hey, why not? Let's just kind of bug each other. And um, isn't that what you do when it rains? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and he kind of takes one of them and throws it, and it gets kind of lost. And all of a sudden, my four-year-old drops all the other 15 and is like, where, what did he do with it? What did, where is it? And he gets just so angry at it, 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 you know, his older brother, Jake, and, and Cole, my, the younger one, is like, where is it? Where is it? And I keep pointing, I keep pointing. I finally, finally, he sees it on the carpet, and he sees it, and he goes, oh, okay. And then goes back to the other you know, 14 or so. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Today is a, a Sunday called Reformation Sunday. And this does connect, by the way. Um, and um, Reformation Sunday. And, and what that means is uh, in the 16th century, hundreds of years ago, uh, this thing called the Reformation occurred. Now, maybe some of you know that from history. Maybe you know it from when we talk about Reformed theology. What does that mean, right? It means that through this event in the 16th century, a monk named Martin Luther, who sought that the, the issues of the church at hand were, were a major problem. That, that, the, that the one thing, the one thing they needed, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ was getting lost in the traditions, in the up, upkeep, and everything else in the church and the surrounding culture. And so he pinned, what he did is 95 theses. Now, a lot of people may hear uh, Martin Luther and thinking, is this this angry monk? And he went, no, what he did is he wrote these theses and he nailed them to a door in, in Wittenberg. And what they stated was, was to say, we need to talk about these things. We need to recover the lost treasure. And, and, and actually, one of the 95 theses says this. This is the, one of the beautiful ones that many of us don't know. It says, the church's true treasure 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the 95 theses. The church's true treasure is that. But I think often what we have done with the gospel is, is once we go, oh, 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 yeah, there it is, I got it. And we kind of go back to everything else. And what I want us to highlight this morning, what I think happens in this book called Galatians, is it reminds us again of the power of the gospel. That the gospel is central. It's not just one of the many and then, oh yeah, oh yeah, I don't want to lose it. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. I just got to be reminded of it. Paul's point in Galatians is to write a letter to a church, which is so fascinating if you think about what we get to do. We get to read a letter from, from the fifth century to a church that's struggling in the very same way we are about, is this gospel really that powerful? Or is it just kind of one of our many treasures that we really enjoy? And if it's lost, once we know, oh, we just, I don't want to lose it totally, but oh, there it is. And we're just kind of okay. Or is it central? Is it the true treasure? Is it the heart of who we are and who we are as a church and how we live? I mean, when Paul wrote this letter that we get to read from, from him to the Galatians, and you got to hear Lee Eric, and I listened to his sermon. I was, I was able to take a, a Sunday off last week, and I was able to hear his sermon, and it was just so beautiful, and it laid out this introduction of what this letter is. But Paul begins to take a deep dive then from kind of the beginning point of saying, hey, you're, you've lo- you're losing it. Don't, don't let it. Don't let it be lost to say, let me tell you about what the gospel is to me, what it means for me, what it's done in my life. How powerful is it to change us? And I, I really think we talk about that word, the religious word. We're going to hit it on it again. But, but I, I long this morning that we wouldn't be, which I often am, like, just like what my four-year-old can do with just a lost Lego, just see it and say, oh yeah, I just want to make sure I still have it. It's a part of the whole. It makes things work kind of in clockwork. But is it the whole? Do we, do we remember that that is the whole? That is the treasure. There are two things from this passage that I really think Paul draws out for us. First is the power of the gospel. What, what is it? Just simply that. What is the power of the gospel? What does Paul have that he is just so adamant with this Galatian church about that is so powerful. And then secondly, what is the proof? How does he have proof that he has it? What is the proof? And I would submit to you right now, it's his own life. To look at his own life, and that's what it means. You know, what Paul has in the power of the gospel, especially in verses 10 through 12, he begins by asking the question. I love Paul does this. He's always going to do this. He's always going to keep asking questions to us and to particularly to the Galatians, but to, to, for us to read. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. Now, that is a very big thing to say. First, I think understanding that when he says this is not man's gospel, he's, he's trying to lay out for us what's going on in this passage. He's under attack for two, two things. One is that these, when Paul was preaching, when, he, when, the, when the gospel was going forward, that means gospel is a word meaning good news. When the good news, that is an event that of the life, death, and resurrection was being proclaimed and people were being brought together and churches were being formed, communities of faith that were worshiping together, 
Paul did that, and he would leave. And then coming behind him was a group of people that were saying, that's great, Paul said these things, but he, he doesn't have the whole thing. You, you, there are other things involved. It's not just about that one Lego that's lost. You got other ones here, and you need to have two that are a part of that. You need to, you need to be circumcised. You need to like, observe the law. And, and that's what it really means to be with Jesus. It means you need to keep up with these things. And Paul is fighting not just here as he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man? He, he, they're basically saying, hey, look, you're preaching a gospel just because you, you have this sordid past so that people will like you. You want approval. You want pleasure, man. You want people to like you. So you're going to say the, the thing that's going to have them like you the best. And so that's why he's getting at. He's, he, he is knowing that he's attacked, but he says, more importantly than me being under attack, the gospel is being under attack. The actual good news of Jesus is under threat because of what these people are trying to add to it, what they're trying to add or maybe even take away from. It's not, look, this is not man's gospel. That it is, it is God's gospel. It is his brought to him. And here's, here's how Paul's revelation is different. Like he even says <clears throat> um, in verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, okay, I don't know where all of you are. Maybe you're, some of you are here this morning. Maybe this is a, a, a new time coming back into church. Maybe you've been kind of out for a while. Maybe you would consider yourself not a Christian. But when Paul talks about the revelation of Jesus Christ, there are tests to that. It's not just like some, any other religion where it's like there was this, this great light and there's this thing. What he's attesting to is that first, that it wasn't an angel. It wasn't a man it was Jesus himself coming, not with a different gospel than all the other apostles were preaching, but the exact same one. In fact, later on, he would, and we'll read about it, later, years later, he would go and even be tested by Peter and the other apostles of, is he, is he right? Does he know this gospel? Because he's not preaching something. He was tested to know, is, what is this revelation? Historically, it's factually true that he meets the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. So not something new, not something out there that his revelation is different. But here's the bigger part that, that unpacks for us. Look, in verse 12, he says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Didn't receive it from a man, nor was I taught it. There are two parts to this that we need to understand that Paul didn't receive it. The first one is, he says, I didn't receive it from any man. In other words, what he's saying in somewhat the Greek fashion is he's saying that it wasn't a, a tradition handed down to him. It wasn't something that was handed down. It wasn't just something that he's been studying for years, as he even mentions, as he was advancing Judaism, he was a great studier. It wasn't a tradition. It wasn't a, a system that he already had and then tried to fit Jesus into it. This is a real caution, and this is kind of a slight to those who are coming after him who were called Judaizers, but it is to us a question is, do we take Jesus and do we hold our traditions in Jesus in the same pit? Do we try and take Jesus and fit him into what works for us and what the systems we already have? Or do we understand the gospel good news is good news, it's transformative news. It's not just news that comes in with other news. 
And many times I think that's how it works for us. We can depend, and we do this so easily, we can depend on systems and traditions so much. Uh, look, we're entering into all those seasons, like right, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the seasons where we're all exposed for how did we do these things growing up? How do we, you know, and it's funny to see, you know, during Halloween, who really loves that? What are you doing during Thanksgiving? You know, if you have uh, relatives, you know, which side of the family are you with this time? You know, you kind of switch back and forth. You make a deal. Uh, where are we going this Thanksgiving? You know, where are we going Christmas? Those kind of traditions. It was fascinating for me. I was on the phone, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago? And I was trying, I had all these problems trying to fix my TV and I have this, you know, cable or direct TV or whatever it is. And I call them and I'm on the phone with this guy and he's trying to walk me through the steps. And I realize he's, he's not, he's not even in the United States. He's saying, hey, I'm going to fix this for you. He starts asking me, hey, what's, is this month Halloween for y'all? Do y'all celebrate that? I'm like, oh, that's a weird question. Uh, and he, I realized he's not just not in the country. He's never been, he, he just thinks Halloween is a whole month that we celebrate all, all month long. And so he begins to ask me these questions. And one of which he goes, okay, is this, isn't that the tradition where you like go to a graveyard and hang out? Have you done that yet? And I'm like, no, I, you know, some people make pretend ones in their yard. You know, I was trying to talk to them about that. I guess there are some, but it was so interesting for me to try and work through hey, why do we do these things that we do? To try and explain to somebody who, who has no clue about the tra- tradition, to then explain the tradition and then for them to go, oh, okay, this is kind of what it was like. The Galatian church was like that man on the phone. They actually didn't know anything about these traditions. The good news to them was great news. It was phenomenal news because it meant nothing. They didn't have to do anything. But here come the Judaizers. Here come those, and they say, these are the traditions that we need to add. And I think it is so similar to what we can do so easily in the way that we add Jesus with our tradition. We can, we, without reading the Bible, we can put Jesus in his, in his life in the, to our current system and say, oh, the, and if it doesn't fit our tradition, our, our system, we hang our, our hat on what just works for us or what has worked for us instead of the good news being the good news. It just becomes news. And it just sits there. And it does not compute. It doesn't make sense. Because it's, it's tradition. It doesn't, it doesn't work in it. The good news is good because it is ma- just massively different than just any other news. It transforms and interprets any other news, even tradition. And he also says this. He says, nor was I taught it this is actually, so if, if that's kind of, and even if you want to put it in these terms, you don't have to. If, if the tradition is more of the conservative side of that, this is actually hitting on the more liberal end of that. This is actually pointing out that it's not an invention of men. This isn't a new thing that put forward. This isn't something taught by men as it was invented. It's not like something new. Even last night, I was sitting with my in-laws, and we were discussing um, our phones and how we have all these old voicemails, right? And I don't know if you do this, but I, I do this. You know, you, you, you keep certain, vo- there are certain like really precious voicemails to you, you know, over the years. And maybe, uh, maybe there are one or two. And you know what the, we were talking about? But if you get the update, you lose your voicemails, you know, like you don't have your voicemails anymore. And you're like, oh no, I don't have these voicemails. The, the, what Paul is saying is there's no updating it. The, the recordings that, that, 
that are there, the, the news that you have of who you are never gets updated and lost. It doesn't need additions. It's not like a new diet. I don't know if you've noticed, I was even watching this show, this documentary about uh, the diet culture and where it came from initially and how it just continues to cycle and how it's built and how it's a part of even the food culture that we have. And that we continue to think we have a new diet that's just going to hit, oh man, this one, uh, this is the one for me. You know, like, like the commercials, it, it, I'm buying, I'm all in, you know. And then eventually it just doesn't seem to work or we lose our way or we're like, okay, I'll, I'll do the whole 30 after, you know, okay, it's October, January 1st, I got a few months, you know. But, but that, what Paul is saying is there's no inventing, there's no added, there's no updating this news. Here's what the true power is of the good news, that no tradition, no invention can supply it. Nothing can hold it up. The good news literally means no, needs no opinion, it needs no help. It is the fact that it is so separate from us. It is the calling of the event of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is that simple. And the good news comes in the person and work of Jesus. Think of it this way. All the inventing, all the recordings that you and I have that play in our lives to tell us, to try and tell us, who we are, to remind us of how we're loved or how we're cared for or, or the people that we've cared for. And yet we can be so afraid to lose those in an update. This news says, this good news triumphs over all of that to say there is no amount of time, space, or anything that can diminish the power of the life, death, resurrection of the gospel recording in your life. Its power goes beyond that. It goes beyond any way of any tradition of what you've been raised or you think of yourself or think of life should be. Think of it this way. Let's put it in, the, in the, even in these terms. Tradition tells you that you need to be wet, measured and weighed by your past. You need to utilize your past in a way that you, you hold on to it because that's the best it gets. But the good news says that it goes over any of that news, good or bad, and says here's the real news of your life. Invention says, and, and what this says, t the teaching says, your future, you've got to work now for your future. If you want to live this way, if you want to have these goals, you've got to have it here. But the good news is saying, your future is determined. It is this simple. The power of the gospel goes before right now and, and after your life. It stretches beyond all the ways that you have not measured up, all the, all the recordings of what you, you miss, of all you wish you would be. And all the future trappings of what you hope your life should look like. The power of the gospel is that anything we bring in it diminishes the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that your story is wrapped up in it because the proof of this, here's what's even more amazing about this, this passage. Paul doesn't just stop there. He says in verse 13 to 17, he says, you want to know the proof of this power? It's me. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous for I was a tradition of my fathers. But he begins to tell about his, not that they actually needed it. I mean, in, in some historical account that what this would look like is they probably already knew who Paul was. Paul, and, and you can even read it in the Bible itself, chapters 
8 and 9 of Acts talk about the actual savage uh, destruction that Paul wanted to put on the church. uh, Chapter 8 of Acts, which is in the New Testament, it's a narrative account of, of the church itself. Verses 1, and Saul, that was his former name, approved of his execution. That meaning one of Stephen, that one of the church. And there arose that day great persecution, persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, that is Paul, who we're reading about, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is the one writing this about the power of the gospel. The proof he's saying, you knew my life. Here is who I am. Here's my life. Here's, here are my credentials. He said, this is what's awesome about this. What Paul is doing, he says, you, you want to know my credentials? Here it is. And he doesn't just try and prove himself by how good he is or how great he is or how called he is and what his calling is meant and what, the, what he's done. Look at all the churches I've started. Is that what Paul says? Look, look at all the, the effect I have. Look at all the impact I've given. No, no, no. He doubles down. And he says, you don't know the half of how horrible I really am. You want to know the proof of the gospel? You want to know how it really changes people? Look at the depth of what a wretch I am. And then you'll know amazing grace. That's where he goes. I remember a story of, and I cannot remember the professor I have a couple different professors in my mind. Maybe both of them said it. But I remember a friend sitting in the car with a professor and asking him this question. He was able to pick him up from the airport. And, and he, he relayed this information to me, this story. And he said, I remember asking him, okay, I couldn't wait to get in the car. I want to ask him this question. What, when you go to heaven, what is the thing that you want to ask God? I mean, you're a seminary professor. You've been studying this. What is the thing that's so complex to you you want to get... You want to get in the face of God and say, God, please, I've been waiting so long to understand this. Teach me, show me, let me know this. And quite simply, the professor looked at him and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what I want to ask him. You see what is incredible about this is that the proof of the gospel is the amazing grace Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart, who would ever set Paul apart? Who would set him apart for his grace, for his work? Who would do that? Why in the world? That's because this is amazing grace. It is love that changed changed Paul. That is the gospel. That's the power of it. It's the love of this one who comes and transforms him. It is amazing grace even that song, Richie Sessions is a part of our congregation. He's actually a campus minister across the street at Vanderbilt. He's preached here a few times. A number of months ago, I think it was, he spoke at a men's event, and he brought this up. And you can read it in a book called on John Newton about his life, the one who actually wrote Amazing Grace. You know, we sing that song. It's one of the most beloved hymns. And actually, the hymn itself was even a part of the transforming uh, work of William Wilberforce and, and others in uh, the abolition of, of slave trade in uh, the United Kingdom. 
But this book is actually points back to where, what is his life about? And if you read about John Newton and why he wrote Amazing Grace, the book's actually called, uh, and I, I can't, I, he, uh, Richie had brought this up. He, he actually talks about how his life as a wretch, he said, Amazing Grace and saved a wretch like me. What, what does he mean? That he is such a deep wretch of his life that he looks back and if you read the biography of, of John Newton you see his life as, as a, 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 a military officer who gets demoted for his work he's a part of he's not ab, you know part of the abolition of slave trade he's actually a seaboat captain for a slave ship and he's actually in the throes of it his life of debauchery and, and, and everything else in there and the, and the story that's woven in there. And he says, this is the amazing grace, the story that transforms me to save a wretch like me. Because is grace that amazing? That's the gospel. That is how simple it is. Is the treasure that, that, that's been lost that amazing? Or is it, oh, oh, the, oh, there it is. I see it over there. Or is it something is, that when it, it misses us that everything else is missed. I remember being a, a student at Baylor University, and I only had one year of a campus ministry there that really um, impacted me, but I remember everything going on in my life, all of this stuff. I, I just, I loved to fit everything in, uh, together. I was constantly busy, extracurricular man all the way. And I remember talking to my campus minister and just asking him the questions about, okay, I think I really, you know, have, the, and have this gospel. I love studying the Bible. I love this campus ministry. Thanks for, I'm so glad you're here. And I remember him looking at me and, and saying, and, and looking through me, which is a very unnerving thing, and saying to me this phrase that has never left me, the moment you think you have your arms wrapped around the gospel is the moment you have lost it. The moment that we think we have it down, I got this. This is good. Yeah, it's a part of my, is the moment we've, that's when tradition, that's when invention, that's when those things come in and begin to infiltrate it and teach us that this isn't that good. It's fine. It's a part, it's not the whole. Paul is saying, you want the proof of this? Is grace that amazing? Is it really that amazing? Has it really punched us? Has it really transformed us in that way? Has it really gripped us and re-grip us in ways that are just incredible? There are so many lives that we can look at along the way. So many people that it's gripped in, 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 in countless ways. It's not just one intellectually, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Intellectually, there's a guy named Simon Greenleaf. I don't know if you've ever heard of his name before. Harvard Law professor, whose students literally looked at him and said, you don't, he was an atheist law professor. And he said, to, he used to say to his students, oh, that, that Jesus stuff, it's so like, you just need that to kind of help you. It's a crutch. And the students challenged him, said, hey, go study it. Then come back to us and then tell us how bad it is. And in his studying of it, it says that he was absolutely transformed by it. His own studying intellectually, relationally. I've, I've quoted this man before, Sheldon Van Auken. By his relationships with actual Christians, he says things like, 
This, the sheer quality of the Christians we met at Oxford shattered our stereotype. And thenceforth, a reference in a book or a conversation to someone's being a Christian called up an entirely new image. Moreover, the astonishing facts sank home. Our own contemporaries could be at once highly intelligent, civilized, witty, fun to be with, and even Christian. Emotionally, C.S. Lewis one of the ones we all would talk about. You hear, you know, pastors quote him all the time. But what brought him? He was not a Christian. What brought him to faith? It was his longing for joy. Sin-soaked, it was called. It was this emotional connection. It was something that just wouldn't last. He tried to hold on to it. It just wouldn't last. He kept trying to grip it. And finally, he realized there has to be something more. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he realized it was the fulfillment of his joy. And even physically, jo- Joni Erickson Tata, I don't know if you know her, who is a quadriplegic, and her story is when she was younger, she dove into the shallow end of the water and, uh, and, and, and broke her spine, became a quadriplegic, and all her life has literally been in a wheelchair, using her mouth to paint, speaker, author, writer. Said long before she became a Christian, she said this, she said uh, she was, fell into deep despair and she was so sick and tired of the despair and the feelings of self-pity, she just cried out, God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And God did. He pulled her story up into hers. What is your story? You know, we come to this table, a table here that is full of a story. This table is, in so many ways, and we're going to read it in a minute, the welcome of Jesus to you to come to this table and be reminded of the power of the gospel, that it is transformative. Whether you have tons of faith, that's not the amount. Whether you come here and you've done great things all week or you've been very spiritual, you've been a part of a Bible study, or or even if you come to this table and you have the deepest shame The way you come to this table is by the good news. It's good news. It's not any other news. And you feel that news and you experience that news and you know that news because it's in the proof of the one who brings it. When you taste the bread and you drink the wine and the juice, you you realize that this proof is far beyond you. It's the proof that God cares so much that he sent his own son to be the good news for you and that it never leaves you. This is your past. This is your present. This is your future. This is the table that reminds you of whom you are. When you come to this table, I want you to remember this thing. I say this to my children all the time. Even when we've had major you know, knock down drag outs because they've beaten up each other and been bad or yell at me or whatever. I end the day by saying this to them because I need to hear this. Why does daddy love you today? Is it because you did great in football? Is it because you didn't hit your brother? Is it because you took your, your bath? No, I love you because you're mine. Taste and know that you are his. His. 